Pastor Eli Naomi. Oh, she 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 darted out on me already. I didn't see. Brother Deron, thank you all so very much. Thank you for all of our our ushers and greeters that serve in the house of the Lord. Oh, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord who's made heaven and earth, bless thee out of Zion. We thank God for all of you who are here. So glad to have our college students. College students have a very special place in my heart. Uh, I, I, I cut my teeth in while I was in college uh, and I led at several campus ministries and so a college student is very near and dear to my heart and it's always a joy when we get to have students from the various uh, campus ministries and colleges uh, that, that come and uh, worship the Lord with us and um, so we're just happy to have everyone here today. Amen? Amen. We're kicking off a brand new series. Somebody say a brand new series brand new series, uh, a sermon series entitled Bars from the Cross. Somebody say bars. Now y'all acting like y'all, it's still 830. Come on, somebody say bars from the cross. Now I'm aware, I'm very much aware uh, that we have not only a multicultural church, but we also have a multi-generational church. And I'm thankful for the multi-generational church. It's good that we have uh, uh, people that love the Migos and Motown, all worshiping God together. Amen, amen. We got people that love Sheila E. and Cardi B, all worshiping God together. It's just a wonderful thing that we have a multi-generational church. Uh, in the music and recording industry, uh, beats and melody are important. They are important, but I don't care what anybody tells you, uh, lyrical content is still king. You better be saying something up in here. Hello, somebody. You better be saying something. And the reason why is because, watch this, words matter. Somebody say that with me. Say words matter. So many, so for many of our uh, older or seasoned saints, you might be wondering, well, Pastor, what you mean bars from the cross? Bars what are bars? What are bars? Well, it's simple. You know, back in the day, uh, you, you probably uh, were listening to your favorite Marvin Gaye, I mean, James Cleveland song, whichever side of the fence you were on. And, and, and you probably love the verses, the verses. Anybody, anybody love good verses? I mean, how it sets up the hook, sets up the chorus, right? Um, but in the 2000s, uh, bars became what's known as well-established uh, as a term for rhymes that artists or freestylers in rap battles or slam poetry with spectators, whenever it would get good, the spectators would shout, bars! Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah I know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Never heard it, Brother Deacon Lumpkin. I know you never heard of this thing. What manner of man is this who's up here preaching about bars, right? I'm going to make it relevant in just a moment. Because Deacon John, in hip-hop culture slang, uh, it's used bars referred to a rapper's lyrics, especially when considered, watch this, extremely good. Extremely good. They say, bar, oh, bars, when it's extremely good. Well, over the next five weeks, Jesus is going to become our favorite rapper. Uh, because uh, the words or the bars that he spits, I'm supposed to say spits is another word for, for, for talking, just, all right, anyway. Um, the words that he says from the cross are not just considered extremely good, but watch this, they really are extremely good. So we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive because a lot of times, uh, you know, as we approach this season, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, 40 days leading up to uh, the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then we go, you know, we have Palm Sunday, then Good Friday, and then we have Resurrection Sunday. And so we're going to just take some time to really kind of uh, delve into what's commonly known or commonly referred to as the seven last words of Jesus. Anybody ever heard that? And it, probably you may have even sat in a service, the seven last words, and you get seven preachers that come up here and they each have a word. Well, I'm going to take probably the next five. We're going to condense them down. I'm a, in a couple of weeks, I'll probably hit two in one week. 
but we're going to make it all make sense and, 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 and make it all come together for us as we enter into this uh, resurrection season. Is that all right? So allow me, if you will, to kick off this sermon series with a flow of my own, which may or may not have been written by a ghostwriter. I'm just saying. So, you know, you got to kind of loosen up. And I can't hold the mic like this when you're spitting bars. You got to. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why rappers do this. It's like you got to put your finger up under your nose. Maybe because the stuff they spitting is so stinky. It's so smelly. That's a good thing. That's a good term. It, it just, it's just good. You got to just put your, put your, put your, loosen your collar and put your nose like this. And, and, and yeah, you yeah, get yeah, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Picture me snapping, chatting of what's happening, whipped in chains by the ones he came to save. Posted on the timeline where the nails banging, but no followers, hashtag left hanging. We Instagram and we tweeting and texting, but we won't face the book, so we can't face the lesson. We reject the truth, don't want to face the message. We haven't responded to his high fives, and so he's still left hanging. Father, forgive him. Now, 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 this is where most people would drop the mic, but these microphones are expensive. I'm not dropping nothing. I'm not dropping nothing up in here. We, we in the city ministry. We, 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 we need to hold on. We're not dropping these things. They fall by mistake sometimes, but we're not dropping nothing. But just say, hey, if it was good, somebody just yell out bars. Yeah, see, that's kind of what it is, all right? I'm not going to say it again. You got to go back and look at the YouTube link. All right, here we go. Let me get on with my message. Uh, listen, let's go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 23. Pastor Ken went off into uh, Luke chapter 22 when he was conducting communion. But I'm going to go one chapter over, one chapter up into Luke chapter 23. And we're going to start at verse 32. If you don't have your Bible, you can pull out your phone or your tablet and go to it. Or if you don't have anything, you can just look at it up on the screen. We'll have the verses on the screen. If you need a half sheet, if you need a half sheet, slip up your hand. We have notes that we want to distribute. If you didn't get it when you came in, go ahead and lift your hands up and we'll try to get them distributed in just a moment. But I'm going to go ahead for our, uh, for the sake of time and, and just read Luke 23 verses 32 through 38. Luke 23 verses 32 through 38. If you have it, indicate by shouting amen. If you don't have it, just say, wait on me. I got you. I got you. Not in too much of a rush that we can't wait for our brothers and sisters to get the word of God. I see you, Toy. God bless you, man. My man. Amen. So good and so happy to see Mother Moore. Mother Moore. Mother Moore in the building today. I, uh, we, we got a call earlier this week that her son Michael had a, uh, was it a stroke or heart attack? Heart attack and, and was unresponsive at the corner store and they took him to the hospital. Mother Moore received a call, had him on a ventilator and we prayed Friday morning for him and she got a call 4.30 or so in the morning on Saturday morning from Henry Ford Hospital and she, when she saw it on the caller ID, she was preparing for the worst. But when she answered the phone, it was Michael on the other line, her son. And so we praise God just for God's healing and miraculous power that he continues to show. Amen. I said he was on a ventilator, but then he called his mama from the ICU. Y'all ain't saying nothing up to me in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, you should be happy that somebody prayed for you had you on their mind and took some time and prayed for you and you you wouldn't be here today if somebody hadn't prayed for you you wouldn't be sitting in this room today if somebody hadn't prayed for you come on can i get somebody to take about 10 seconds that recognizes that if it had not been for the lord who was on your side for the lord who put your put your name on somebody's heart and began to pray for you and you're here today because somebody prayed for you somebody shout hallelujah hallelujah Luke chapter 23, verse 32 through 38, it says two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to a place called the skull, somebody say the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right 
the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one, bruh. No, he didn't really say bruh. I just kind of put that in there. Did that for the culture. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, let me get back and be spiritual. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. But there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. I'm going to use for my verse of emphasis 23 and verse 34. Let's look at verse 34 one more time. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Can you look at your neighbor and would just help me preach this title today? Say, neighbor, forgive fast. Okay, so that was the wrong neighbor. Look, look at your other neighbor. Look at your other neighbor because that neighbor tripping. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, forgive fast. Sometimes you got to look at somebody clear across the room because both of your neighbors are tripping, but you're trying to get a word out to somebody. Look at somebody clear across the room and say, neighbor, forgive fast. Come on and give God some praise as we figure out what the Lord is wanting to say to us. After Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was alive for approximately six hours. And during this time, he said several things recorded by various gospel writers. But before we discuss what he said, I think it's important that we talk about what he was going through when he said it. See, this is an account, I want to read this for you. This is, an, this is an account from a medical doctor that details the physical suffering of crucifixion. Check this out. The legionnaire drives a heavy, squared, wrought iron nail through the wrist and down into deep wood. Both feet were extended, toes down, and a nail driven through each arch, leaving the knees moderately flexed. Excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms. The nails in the wrist were are putting pressure on the median nerves as he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment he places his full weight on the nails through his feet again there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of his feet at this point, as his arms fatigue and great waves of cramps sweep over his muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain, with these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in this life-giving oxygen. It was undoubtedly during these brief periods that he uttered the seven short sentences that are recorded for us in Scripture. How many people know that most times it's the last thing a person says before they die that's very important? If they get that opportunity, you really want to take heed to the very last things that a person who's getting ready to make the transition from earth into another space and time 
what it is that they're saying. Because most times, they want to get to a point where they're at the end of their life and they need to know that this is important. So the first thing that Jesus said on the cross, as documented by Luke, watch this, was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I struggled with this since I was a teenager because how can Jesus pray this kind of prayer asking God, watch this, to forgive them for they know not what they are doing when they know exactly what they're doing. How, how can he pray and say, Father, forgive them for, the, for they don't know what they're doing when they know exactly what they are doing. I think Jesus saw that those that were crucifying him were even walking in unforgiveness themselves. That in that moment, so possibly Jesus, possibly could he be saying, Father, Forgive them so that they will know what real forgiveness looks like. See, you got to understand this, and this is the first point. Unforgiveness will cause you to group the innocent with the guilty to justify the injustice being done. I think I need to say that again. Unforgiveness will cause you to group the innocent, I mean the, the innocent with the guilty to justify the injustice being done. Look back at verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. I remember some years ago when we as a church went through probably one of, if not the most difficult time in the history of us being organized as a church. It was almost, well, maybe a little over 10 years ago now, when our executive pastor at the time, Pastor Kevin Ramsby, was a, a, a robber had broke into his home and stabbed him 37 times and left him for dead. But God. Because what the devil meant for evil, God has turned it around for his good. But one of the things out of that entire ordeal, and I remember getting the call, like Mother Moore, it's probably 4, 4.30 in the morning, got getting that call from Cindy and Pastor Tim, said, hey, we need you to make it down to the hospital. This has happened to Pastor Kevin. He's been stabbed 37 times. And I remember one of the things that uh, happened in that moment and, and, and I don't remember if it happened before uh, he went into surgery or, or just thereafter. But when the police were trying to get a statement to try to figure out who did this to you. Mind you, this man was literally holding his guts in his hands because the stab wounds had just ripped his stomach open and just... I mean, he had to hold his insides in his hands so he could barely talk, let alone even think about what had just transpired. But one of the things that, that happened was that they came back out and they told us, well, this is what he told us that we could kind of make out. And they said, black, bald, church. Black, bald, church. So when they said that, we're thinking, was it a black man a, 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 who's bald-headed that goes to the church that did this? And so we began, literally, I, I mean, this is God's honest truth. We started going down the list. Well, who's black and bald that go to our church? Because at that point, everybody's a person of interest. We're like, 
Nate Richards? Now, now y'all know, y'all know Nate. I mean, he wouldn't hurt a fly. Carlos, his brother Jefferson, his Mr. Wendell. I mean, I mean everybody. We're just going through, trying to group the innocent in with the guilty to justify the injustice that was being done. Later, it came out and to just kind of bring clarity. He, what he was trying to communicate was because we are an outreach church and because we do a lot in the community, there, it, possibly could have, it possibly could have been someone that he had interaction with doing one of our outreaches. Mind you, we had just come out of war week when this happened. We had just come out of our big youth conference and, and, and city missions week when this happened. And, and he was identifying him as a black man who didn't have any hair. But when he said church, we started just, well, who, who in the church must have did this? Who didn't like him? Check the voicemail records. What did anybody leave any nasty voicemails at him? Unforgiveness will have you ready to kill the wrong person. When you have unforgiveness in your heart, you start imagining things that aren't even real. I mean, think about it. There are people, even in this room today, something happened to a family member of yours, and maybe it was done by a black male. And now you think, I'm not ever trusting any black males. On the flip side, maybe something happened to you from a white person. And you go on saying, all white people are evil. No, they're not. You start grouping people in these categories to justify your injustice that you're doing by holding on to this unforgiveness. I know I'm walking heaven. I didn't expect to get a whole lot of amens in this message, but you know what? It's got to be dealt with. Because so many times we deal with this and it goes unchecked. And when things go unchecked for so long, it becomes a part of our innate nature and we think it's normal. And then when someone comes with a message like this that tells you that it's time for us to forgive fast, you're like, what you talking about, Willis? Let me get my second point. Whenever the enemy wants to destroy you, he must attack you in your mind. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. When they came to the place called the skull, somebody say the skull. Calvary, or also known as Golgotha Hill. The reason why, and this is what some theologians describe, the reason why they called it or coined it the place of the skull is because the hill looked like the shape of a skull or a bald head. I don't know why bald heads keep coming up in my message today. Ron, it must be you. It must be you, Ronald. I don't know. Just, I don't know. But it looked like a skull. The, the, the heel looked like uh, uh, the shape of a head. Others would even argue and say that it was, it was uh, the place where they would place skulls of dead corpuses in this place. And you go there and let crucifixion happen there. But I think that the place of the skull is symbolic. Because I believe that when the enemy wants to attack you, to destroy you, he always comes in your mind. See, you have to understand this. Your brain and your mind are two different things. They're not the same. See, your brain is a part of the visible, tangible world of the body. Your mind is part of the invisible, transcendent world of thought. Feeling, attitude, belief, and imagination. The brain is a physical organ most associated with mind and consciousness. But the mind is not confined to the brain. 
The intelligence of your mind permeates every cell of your body, not just your brain cells. And your mind has tremendous power over all bodily symptoms, systems. So whatever the enemy wants to attack you and damage you to destroy you, he will always come after your mind. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 and 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your would y'all help me preach this thing today? He's telling us, don't, don't get so locked into this world system. You must have a regenerate mind. And that can only happen by the word of God. Then he picks it up in Philippians 2 and 5. And he tells us the same thing, but just a different way. He flips the flow and he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he picks it back up in Ephesians chapter 6. Because he can't stop telling us how the importance of this mind is. When he's telling us to put on the whole armor of God, he tells us to make sure we put on the helmet of sound. <laughs> Something about your mind. Your mind has to be renewed every single day. And this, the only way to guard your mind, watch this, is to live your life spirit over your mind. Lord, I feel like preaching this thing today. You have to live your life spirit over mind. This is how Jesus was so successful in the wilderness because the Bible tells us that he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So the enemy thought that he was coming after his mind, but he, didn't, he wasn't aware that he was led by the spirit. See, and when you're led by the Spirit, the Bible even tells us that when you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Where do you think the lust of the flesh is conceived in? It's conceived in your mind. That's why your mind has to be guarded at all times. That's why you can't afford to play around with stuff in your mind. Because what happens in your mind will eventually happen in time. You need to be sure that you have your mind guarded at all times and it must be guarded by the word of God. You must be led by the spirit. You have to operate spirit over mind at all times. When you operate mind over spirit, let me tell you something. You go off and start doing crazy stuff. Somebody say crazy stuff. You know, people will sell you all the time. You know, you just got to be led by your heart. No, 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 no. Don't be led by your heart. Your heart will lead you astray. Your heart to have you connected with people you shouldn't be connected with. Your heart to have you marrying people you shouldn't marry. Your heart to have you sleeping with people that you, that, you, that you shouldn't be sleeping with. But you must be always led by the Spirit when you walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When you're led by the Spirit, the enemy don't know how to deal with you. When you operate in spirit over mind. Because most times what God begins to deal with you and how he begins to orchestrate your life, listen to me good, it will go against natural human comprehension. Lord, help me in this place. It will go against all logic. That's the reason why we don't walk by what we see, but we walk by faith. We walk according to his word. We're not moved by what we see. We're not moved by what we feel. We're not moved by what we hear. We're only moved by the word of God and our faith in this word. So you must be spirit over mind. Somebody say spirit over mind. Let me tell you something else. My next point is just simply this. That Jesus prayed in his hardest moment. Jesus prayed in his hardest moment. Look at verse 34. It's right here in your Bible. Look at it. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. While this was happening, Jesus did not cuss them out. He prayed. This side is tripping. Let me talk to this side. While, while he was going through what he was going through, 
He did not subliminally talk about them to other people around him. He prayed. While this was happening, he didn't try to fight back. He prayed. At the time, watch this, at the time of his greatest physical, emotional, and mental battle, Jesus called out to the Father. He's, he's not just telling us important instructions, but he's showing us how to live the victorious life. Lord, help me in this place. While he's in the midst of, thank you, brother, while he's in the midst of his greatest physical challenge, his greatest emotional challenge, and his greatest mental challenge, he calls out to the Lord. This just simply tells us, my brothers and sisters, that we too can pray to God in our most painful situations. Because when we call out to God, he will hear us. And the Bible says that he will answer us. When you call upon him in your time of trouble, he will bring about deliverance. Well, is there anybody in this place that's ever gone through some painful situations? And you couldn't find your mama, you couldn't find your daddy, you couldn't find your best friend, but once something on the inside told you to call on the name of Jesus, and you called on God and he was right there to help you and to aid you. In your toughest moments, I encourage you to call on Jesus. Because he will answer you. He's up for the challenge. When people say they can't do it, call on him. He specializes in the most difficult. He specializes in the impossible. Let me give you my next point. It just simply says, when you have all that going on around you, you can't get distracted by the people that you miss the purpose. Look right back here at verse 35. It tells us real plain. Look, look, look. This is, this is what it says in your Bible. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. All throughout your life, you're going to have people talking around you. All throughout your life, you're going to have noise. But listen to me good. You got to keep in mind, just like Jesus did, watch this. Resurrection was the goal. But crucifixion was the road. You, you can't get to what God has for you without going through what God has for you. The problem is never the people. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians, that same sixth chapter, right around the 12th verse, he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The problem is not with people. And you can't let the distractions of people block you out from God's purpose for your life. You have to learn, listen to me good, how to turn down the noise of people so you can hear the sound of the Lord. Lord, help me in this place. You have to learn how to turn down the noise of people so you can hear the sound of heaven. Let me close, but I got to show you this really, really quickly, and I promise I'm almost done. Let me show you this because I think y'all may have missed it because you're reading too fast. Look back at verse 34. It says two other men, well, I'm going to back up to verse 33. Two other men, verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Watch this, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, 
forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Some of y'all missed it. I'm going to see if I can try this again. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Okay, that, that didn't work. I'll try to figure out something else. Jesus, y'all know Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He didn't say, Father, forgive them for what they have done. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Doing speaks of it being in the present tense. It's happening right now and he's telling God, to forgive them. Here's the major point. Don't miss this. On the cross, Jesus extended mercy when he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what, what they're doing. Watch this. While they were crucifying him. Y'all don't know when to shout. <laughs> Listen, Jesus' prayer for God to forgive his persecutors. Watch this takes place in the same moment that they were torturing him. He's given us this powerful example for us to live by as well. And that is we must forgive others not when they sin against us, but rather while they are sinning against us. You have to understand that even when they don't recognize their sin, even when they don't even ask for forgiveness, if you're a part of the body of Christ, you must show mercy to our enemies just like Jesus showed mercy to his. So watch this. Here's the major key. DJ Khaled. That's another. Don't worry about that, mother. We'll clear it up later. But here's the major key. Watch this. Stop holding on to offenses too long. Because that's the problem with most of us in this place. Somebody did us wrong and we want to hold on to it. We want to remind them and everybody else around us who's connected to us about what he did to me. And because I'm mad at him, y'all should be mad at him too. Oh, I know I'm stepping on toes today, but you know what? Just, just if you can't say amen, say ouch. Some of us are holding on to offenses way too long. But if we follow the, the pattern of Jesus, while they were driving the nails in his hand, while they were piercing him in his side, while they were plucking out his beard, while they were talking about him, while they were sneering at him and telling him, oh, you must be the son of God. Why don't you save yourself? While they were doing all this against him, he was crying out to his father, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I would even reckon to say, most times, we don't even know what we're doing. Because we want to hold on to the offense so long, we want to make them feel what it is that we felt when they did it to us. Not even realizing that what it is that you're doing, you think that you're holding them captive, but you're really putting your own self in captivity. You're doing it to yourself by holding on to it. They got part two coming out. I'm just waiting for the songs. Because there was nothing more prophetic, nothing more edifying than when Elsa began to sing that song, let it go. Let it go. Don't let it hold you back anymore. Because that's all 
the unforgiveness is doing. It's doing it to you. So in the moment, in the moment of them sinning against you, in the moment of them offending you, you got to be ready to forgive. And you have to be willing to forgive. But not just forgive. Forgive fast. Jesus didn't wait until after he, resu he was resurrected. I mean, for a lot of us, that would make the most sense. After he was crucified, placed in a borrowed tomb, three days later, he rise up. All right, I'm over it now. All right, I forgive y'all. Yeah, we good now. We good, we good. And so for some of us, that's how we try to play it. After we've already come over. Y'all are acting real funny in here this morning. I don't know. Y'all wait until, y'all wait till the battle is over before you shout. <laughs> but what Jesus was modeling for us, he's saying right even in the midst of it, forgive. So here's what we're going to do a little reflective. You got a section on your paper. Because I felt the Lord really leading me to do this with us today is that we have to have a little bit of a reflective moment and ask a reflective question. And the question is simply this, what have you held on to for far too long? Nobody's going to see this. Nobody's going to read this. This is personal. This is for you. Because I believe that God is trying to get you to let some stuff go. The first stop on the road to resurrection is forgiveness. Just like Christ got up on the third day morning with all power in his hand, there is power being, being held up waiting on you to forgive. Because you got to deal with stop number one first before you can get to your ultimate place of resurrection. Go ahead for the next 60 seconds. Use this reflective time and write down on that paper. Then you can fold it up, stick it in your Bible, re refer back to it. from time to time to make sure that you haven't picked it back up because today we're going to lay some stuff down. I said today we're going to lay some stuff down. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiving power. Thank you that you've given us the power to forgive. Today we lay it down. We cast it upon you. But you've already completed the work. We want to get to that place of it is finished. But first we got to deal with the place of forgiving fast. But he heard me. You don't know what I've been through. I'm not going to come into this place and you tell me I got to forgive fast. And You don't know what I went through. Let me tell you something. I don't need to know. God already knows. Man, but she, she broke my heart, left me with the kids. Uh-uh, I'm having this struggle. Later, I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you can't tell me nothing. Let me tell you, I don't need to know. God already knows. They disrespected me. They took advantage of me. I was vulnerable. I couldn't, couldn't even make out what was going on. There's no way I can do it. But you have a Savior who 
who came to save the world and the very people he came to save, they were ridiculing him. They were putting him to death. And in the same moment, while nails were going through his feet, nails were going through his wrist, he's still saying, Father, forgive him. I don't know about you, but I just want to be like Jesus. I mean, that's what, that's what we're here for. Like, that's what we're doing. That, that, that's why we've committed our life to him, because we want to be transformed more into him. Well, if you want to be more like him, you got to do what he did. Everybody stand to your feet. Some of you are probably wondering, but Pastor, you didn't talk about those last two verses. Well, let me give you these two. So the soldiers also came up and mocked him and offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. And look at the last verse. It says, there was a written notice above him which read, this is king of the Jews. I think it's important. Very interesting that he died king of the Jews, but he rose king of the world. And today, he sits at the right hand of the Father because he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And he wants to be your king. And he longs to be your Lord. And if you're in this place, let me just tell you something. There's no greater moment than to trust him with your life than right now. Maybe you're in this place, every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're in this place and you said, man, I, I, I don't, I, I've never given my heart to the Lord. Or maybe you once gave your heart to him and then, and then and you, you've drifted. There's been some space that has gotten in between your father and you. Let me just say something. He's always been there. He hasn't moved. Sometimes we drift from the shore. But let me just tell you something. He has attached in us an anchor that we can just put our, fix our face like a flint and pull our way back toward him. He is willing and ready and able He's welcoming us with open arms when we've drifted away because he's a father and he cares about you. And if you're in this place and you say, Pastor Devin, I, I want to give my heart to the Lord I, or I'm ready to, to, to come back to him. Whatever, you, whatever, whatever situation you may find yourself in, it, to, today is a good time. How can you say that? How can you be so sure? Because the scriptures tell us today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You don't have to wait to try to get things right try to try to make things more appropriate no 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 no. today do it today do it today give your heart to him today give your life to him today if you're in this place and you say listen I, well, I, well tell me more about this about this thing called salvation it's very simple the gospel is very simple listen we were in sin and that was a debt that needed to be paid in order to bring us back to God and God says I'm going to send my son Jesus and the gap that is between you and me, his stretched arms nailed to a cross is going to become the bridge that will bring you from where you are to where I am. Cross over that bridge today. Make Jesus your choice. Put your trust in him. He will never fail you. He will never let you down. The plan of salvation is so simple. It's as simple as your ABCs. People try to make it complicated, but it's not complicated. It's simply this. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. The trouble that you're in, you can't get out of all by yourself. Let God work it out for you. B, you must believe. Believe. Believe this. Believe that God sent Jesus to die for our sins and that he rose again with all power. And then C, simply confess. What are you confessing? Not your sins. You're simply confessing that Jesus is now Lord over your life. Let him be your savior today. And then over time, make him your Lord. Every single day, he's going to show you more and more ways to submit your ways unto him. 
For the Bible tells us that we must submit ourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God is ready. He's ready to come into your heart and make you a brand new creation. For the scriptures tell us this, simply this, that if any man be in Christ, he, and she, he or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things have now become new. Just like that, your sins are forgiven. Just like that, you're made whole. Just like that, you're cleansed from all of your unrighteousness. God wants to do it for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place and you're ready to make that decision, on the count of three, I want you just to lift your hands. No one's looking, just me, because I just want to just look and see the hands and then count. And then listen, we're going to join hands together and pray the prayer of salvation so that God can welcome you into the family of Christ Jesus. A one, two, three. If you're ready to be a part of the family of God, lift those hands right where you stand. Right where you stand. One, two, anyone else? Lift that hand up high so I can see three, amen, four, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Anyone else? Listen, you may feel this, this thumping in your chest or that lump in your throat. You may be wondering, what is this? What is this that I'm feeling? Let me just tell you something. That's the power of the Holy Spirit moving upon you because he is the agent representing the God hand that, head that's in the earth today, bringing about salvation to all men. That's his presence. That's his spirit upon your life. And he wants to come in and make all things new. You don't have to get yourself together to come to him. That's his job. You come to him just as you are. And he will begin the work in your life. I'm going to just extend it one more time because maybe you didn't raise your hand the first time. But now that you have a clear understanding and no one's going to embarrass you, you're ready to make that decision. You're ready to make that decision even now. Even now you can make that decision and be a part of the family of God. We're not telling you or inviting you to join a church. If you want to become a part of the church, that's fine, but it's not about joining a church. It's about becoming a part of the family of God. And that's what we get excited about. So one more time, if you didn't raise your hand before, but you're ready to raise your hand now and you're ready to make a commitment for the Lord to live your life, to give your life to him, come on, just simply raise your hand right where you stand or right where you sit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. We have four people that have made a decision to give Christ their heart. Come on, let's celebrate that. Come on, come on, let's celebrate that today. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, come on, come on. We go crazy.